Good morning. I have no strength whatsoever, but that's okay. It's not in my own anyway. It's in his strength. I'm grateful for him. We are pressed for time. <clears throat> so, by the will of God, I'll be in your way and then out. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Thanks and praise for who you are, for your awesomeness, uh, for the splendor, Jesus. Even thinking about this season and this particular time, this Advent, how you came and you were born, and you give us hope, and even how we can look forward to your return when you come again, and we can look forward to that. There's hope in that. So we thank you, Father. Father, decrease me, Lord God, speak for the words that uh, you've given me. Speak to hearts who are here. Speak to hearts who have the opportunity maybe to listen to it at some other time and place. Encourage men. Men need hope. Thank you, Jesus, for all you are. Amen. Thanks again, Pastor Jay. Doc, I love you. Thank you. I appreciate you. To the Johns, praying for you. Our lives are different now since we've had the chance to cross paths. I appreciate you dearly. <clears throat> As we continue on in our Advent series on the then and the now of Advent, we're going through a series of questions, kind of following the rules for writing a good story. Asking five important words. We are asking questions around the word Advent. Advent means arrival or coming. And Pastor Jay has challenged us to look pretty hard at this idea of coming. And he posed the appropriate questions that oftentimes we take for granted in doing any kind of research of real personal transformation. So two weeks ago, and began the series asking the question, who is coming? And we zeroed in directly on the scriptures, providing us with a framework for the promised servant king, Messiah, which means the anointed one, and his first arrival, which spoke to the point of then, then. And then Pastor Jay, he pointed us to the now, or soon to be coming return as a victorious king, this king who will judge the earth, who will righteously execute judgment when he comes during the second advent. It is a hope that we can rejoice in, church. But for further clarification, it would be good if you actually listened to his message. So last week, <laughs> we heard from the one I call El Capitan, the silver surfer. My wife calls him Uncle Rick. You see, he answered the question of when is he coming? And Rick is in Sunday school, and I hope you listen to this because I got to thank you again and again. Your words really encouraged me, and it set me on a course this week that I truly needed seriously to be set on. Um, it allowed me to really meditate on the truths that Rick was sharing. He was talking about this ominous tone, this idea of an ominous tone during the season. And the reality that spoke to me was that there is this 
joy that we can experience, but it is never apart from grief. And that just spoke to me like you would not believe this week. And I'm grateful. Anyway, Rick specifically pointed out the timing of the first advent as promised, according to Scripture. And even as Kim pointed out, Jesus promised, the, the, the Father promised it. He came the first time. He promised the return. It's going to happen. But again, for further clarification, it'd be good if you actually listen to the audio on bridgephilly.com. I said it wrong, right? Bridgephilly.com. I said it right. Dot work. Sorry. Sorry. Because Rick did a definitely a better job than my summary. So now I want to talk about the advent in light of how is he coming? How is this Jesus going to come? How did he come the first time? And then how will he return the second time? Then. So just by way of a little bit of history. During the time of the first advent, God's people were enduring. They were enduring under this very tough and brutal regime. It was the Roman regime. And it was run by this ruler called Herod the Great. And Herod was an extremely diabolical and underhanded and crafty individual who had no love at all, no love whatsoever for God's people. No love. <clears throat> Ask yourself this question. Just think. All right. If you lived back during those times under that oppression and that wicked ruler, what would you be looking out for? What would you be hoping for? What would you be anticipating? I think two things that actually come to mind for myself. <laughs> One is either that I would be taken out of this world by death, because, yeah, I would want release from some type of oppression and wickedness, or change. Can there, is it possible that there can be change? Change. Well, maybe like change we can believe in. Oh, no, that was a political slogan. Or, or, or back in the day, there was this ruler called King David. So maybe we want to make Israel great again. No, that's another political story. Anyway, seriously, though, think about this. They did want political change and economic change, but there was something more that they were grasping for, that they were hoping that, according to what they knew, that they could believe in. A Messiah, one who would bring freedom from this oppression. They were hungry, genuinely hungry for change, and they were eager to see some type of political shakeup. Messiah can bring that. We know he's promised that he can bring that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace that will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it 
with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. This, this is what they were holding on to because they believed that this is what Messiah can bring. A different, a different type of government. It was during their darkest hour where their souls, they were stirred. And they cried out, Messiah, come, Messiah, come, Messiah, come. The prophetic promises of a deliverer had truly reinforced the knowledge of these truths. And they desired nothing more than to see them fulfilled in the freedom from this wicked Roman occupation. Messiah, come. They wholeheartedly believed freedom rested in Messiah. Because when he comes, everything will change. Messiah, come. Think about this. In 2018, today, right, many are yearning for the same kind of freedom. Distantly, in the news, we hear about it. We get news feeds all the time. Or if you sit down old school and you watch the nightly news report, you'll hear about asylum seekers we're pursuing freedom within our borders. Oh, and other countries too. Because they can't safely find any freedom in their own. But let's bring it home. Be a little bit more local, all right? In West Philadelphia, last Sunday evening, three young black kids, one was eight, one was 15, and one was 16. They were all stray victims of stray bullets. The eight-year-old was actually sitting on the couch in his house, right next to the window. And get this, they were shot by two 16-year-olds who had territorial beef because of something that started on social media. And then I heard the other day about Miss Salim. Miss Salim is a patient of ours. She called, and she was crying on the phone, and she was telling me about her experiences back in 2016 where she had not one, not two, but she had three strokes back to back to back. And she, had, she, was, in a, she was in a coma, and she had lost a, a, a major portion of her short-term memory. I was like, wow, uh, Messiah come. Scott Britton had shared with us yesterday of a young man that the funeral was yesterday who overdosed on heroin. November 6th, there was the election. And in California, the mayor, the one who won the, uh, the mayor's position in Paradise, California, a week later, because of the wildfires, the whole city burnt down. People lost nearly everything. We got hurricanes. We got stuff going on like crazy with our environment. We need a Messiah. We need hope. People are looking for hope. There's, we, we're, we're in pursuit, hot pursuit of this Messiah to bring freedom from the tyranny, the constant tyranny of poverty, of trauma, of drama. We need freedom from the struggle of racism and oppression. 
We need freedom from illness, sickness. We need freedom from fear. We need freedom. We need Messiah. This Messiah who knows us, we want to be known by him. We need freedom. We need this Messiah. Church is confused, though. We're in a season right now, a season of giving, peace and goodwill towards men. And we want nicely decorated, warm feelings with a bow on top. And we can sing songs like, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. That was my Nat King Cole. <laughs> Truth is, though, we need Messiah. Let's look at the word. I'm going to have Raja come, actually, as my guest. And I have a little Messiah, Silas. And they're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Because here's our hope. Our hope is coming. Oh, Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her uh, quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Thank you. Uh, dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Immanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, good brother. All right. Bless you. Amen. Amen. First things first. <laughs> Thank you, Silas. He was born. Yes. Don't miss that. The Messiah had to be born. The account made it real simple. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. He was born. When you think about it for a moment, the words are really simple. But we take it for granted. You know? It's estimated, they say, globally, there are 250 babies born every minute. 
kind of works out to about what? Four babies per second? We kind of take it for granted, you know? We rejoice with the parents. Child is here. Dad, again, according to culture, he'll pass out cigars. Yeah, set up the car seat, set up the crib. Now we go on with life because a baby is born. He's here. And I understand. We know about the promise. There was a promise made. Shepherds, they announced. Magi, they came. They brought gifts. That was all prophesied. I understand all that. But don't miss this. The Messiah had to be born. He was born. It's really, I mean, it's, it just feels like it's invisible. Maybe he was one of the four during that second when he was born. But he was practically invisible. It's like an afterthought. I mean, think about it. How many innkeepers did they pass because the innkeepers, I'm sorry, how many innkeepers did they go by and the innkeepers actually refused them lodging? Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any room here. It's just a baby, just another baby. How many midwives do you think that were asked to come assist, come help out Mary? She's having pre-labor. She's, go, you know, she's dealing with the pains. Ah, it's just another baby. Somebody else will do it. Just another baby. They navigated through Bethlehem. They roamed around the open market. They made their way through the main square. And then they even passed the synagogue. People see them. Oh, woman, she's pregnant. Just another baby. Just another baby. This Messiah's introduction to a cruel, cold, hard, and sinful world. This is what it was. This is what it was like. Considered just another baby. But he was willing to give his life for us. This didn't deter him. This didn't change his mind. He didn't all of a sudden think, well, this is how they're going to treat me. Oh, I'm going to abort ship. Let's go to plan B, Father. No. He was willing to still forego his privilege. He was willing to. He was willing. He stuck in there. He was committed because he understood the promise of this redemption. He knew the love that he had for his own. Yes. Thank you. He was quite aware of of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. He was well aware that his channel to the earth And the way in which he would redeem mankind was going to be through a womb. He knew that. He didn't, it wasn't that he was going to become an adult and and make this happen. It was as a child, an innocent and vulnerable child. Silas was just staring me right in the eyes. An innocent and vulnerable child with real human needs for human connection, human interaction, A child that needed to be nurtured, cared for, and loved. A complete dependent. This Messiah, do we understand who it is? The role that he take, that he took. This is a beautiful picture, I see. 
of how God the Father, God the Creator, how He paints, how He demonstrates, how He proves to us His love for every single one of us, for all of creation. This child's humble, obscure entry into a broken and desperate world, it connects with mankind's most vulnerable state. This is how he chose to be born. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. You saw us. You identified with us. And you came. You knew how tough it would be. And you came. You were born. Let's take a look at the now. He was promised as well to return a second time. This is also called the Advent, second Advent. And his goal in doing so is to gather the redeemed to himself and to proclaim judgment. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. I'm sorry, Sib, I didn't give you that one. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Or did I? Maybe I didn't. I'll say it again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. Wow, this is much different than how he came the first time. I want to say it again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen. This is our promise. This entrance is definitely different than his first time. And the whole world will see and know that the God of the universe is coming. See, for the believer, there's an unbelievable sense of hope, of triumph, and of a relief of your soul. This validates that we have overcome. Hallelujah. No longer overcomers, but it validates that we have overcome. His promise is fulfilled. Hallelujah. We need that. The world needs that. Every single one of those folks that I was telling you, what we were uh, hearing about in the beginning, they need that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It reads this. <clears throat> Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. The key here to be mindful of is that the Apostle Paul is pointing us to be on guard and aware that a series of that a series of things will take place. And these will be clear indicators prior to this second advent. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Stay alert. Stay awake. Don't sleep. A great rebellion led by a lawless leader. This leader will be the one that possesses a power like Satan. He will also perform 
his own signs and wonders. And then he'll bring us seriously strong, great delusion is what, it, what it's described here. These are things that are letting us know. Be prepared. Be ready. This second coming is near. It's near. It's near. So stay alert. Stay awake. Don't sleep. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2a. The spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Yes. Oh, that's good. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stood up, I believe it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 19. After he had come from the wilderness, he was in the synagogue. He grabbed the scroll, and this is what he read. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. But he stopped at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, closed it up, and he said, today, today, in your hearing, this scripture is being fulfilled today. He didn't read, and the day of vengeance of our God, because it is future, and he is the one who will be coming. Hallelujah. See, just as believers who know Christ in an intimate relationship, unbelievers who've not embraced the birth of this first advent, they will experience this dreadful day of vengeance. And it will be a brutal day for all of the Lord's enemies. One commentary puts it this way. As a king that sends out proclamation of peace to his friends, he shall proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. This is that same king that will send out proclamation against his enemies. You know, we can sit down and we can hash out our various eschatological positions, whether you believe in covenant theology, kingdom, or if you're a dispensationalist, you're pre, you're post, you're mid, you're um, you know, we can talk about that forever and ever. We can spin on that. You're choosing, you know, you pick your fruit, you eat it, you enjoy it, that's cool. Um, But the, the thing that I would caution us on and actually really have us kind of really focus on as it relates to this, this particular message and the focus of this is the thing that, the thing that was, was really trying to be highlighted is Christ's coming. This reality that he will actually come, it's to a certain degree by surprise for us. And in, in a certain sense, as I explained, there's certain things you look out for to be aware, to be prepared for. But the actual hour, time, date, and all that other stuff, and then whether or not he'll come later or we'll meet up with him or we'll do all of that stuff, pause just for a second. Just for a second. But hold on to this. He's coming, and we need to get our hearts ready. That right there is one of the things 
that I had to wrestle with. Because doctrinally, I remember I went to Bible college and I had crossed the T's and dotted the I's. I was ready doctrinally and I could come and shoot at you with some of the toughest things and make sure, oh, well, I didn't think of this or you didn't think of that. And I still remember still being bound in my sin, struggling, not knowing which way to go, not knowing up from down. And I had to sit with a counselor, Robert Rescher, and he said to me, he said, listen, Frank, here's the thing I want you to keep in mind. Doctrine's not bad. Doctrine's a good thing. But is the love that you have for Jesus today deeper than what it was yesterday? Because if it's not, something's off. Not your doctrine. Not your doctrine. Your heart is in the wrong place. So these are the things that I had to really take into account. Making sure that I was pursuing Christ, making sure that I was going after him. See, the church, we, where there's a certain complacency that we struggle with, and we've kind of lost this thing of Christ really coming back, this holiness, this holy fear, this holy pursuit, desiring and searching and yearning for him. We've lost our, our desire to be wholly afraid and knowing that, you know what, as I'm getting my heart right, then I'm really compelling others. Because the time is short. Because so many things are happening. Because so many things are showing and indicating that he's coming back. And if my heart's in the right place, I know that I'm sharing with believers, but I'm also encouraging unbelievers to get right. Do right, walk right, pursue God. He comes as a baby into our mess and the distress that we call life. But he'll return a second time as this closer of all things world, all things life. He's to close it. He's to finish it. He'll sign it off. But men must do this. Men must first make sure that they embraced the first in order to be able to participate in the second. I'll say it this way. If you embrace the birth, you can participate in the second, in the return. So keep that in mind and, and do that assessment for yourself. If it's been a while, ask yourself those questions. Is my heart where it needs to be? Am I in the place where um, I'm yearning and pursuing you, Lord? Is my love for you today deeper than it was yesterday? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself. I'll close out with this. Um, this is a beautiful season. It really is. Um, it's, very encouraged, uh, it's very encouraging to actually even... Um, just to participate in, in all, that, all that we have. But sometimes, again, you think about the nostalgia. The nostalgic view, it really pales in comparison um, to the power of his transforming purpose that God originally intended for us, that we would really see Jesus 
and who he is and the fullness of who he is. I'm, I'm getting a sense of really moving to a different place of how I see Christmas. And it's not because of raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. It really isn't. And God bless Julie Andrews and anyone else in here who likes favorite things. Really, it's okay. Um, I need more, though. I do. I need more. And I would venture to say our, as, we all, as believers, we need more. We really do. We need more of Christ. During this Advent, consider how he arrived, how he was born. Inconspicuous, unassuming. Thank you, Raja. But very intentional. So don't blink or you'll miss him. Keep this in mind and not too far off. He will return. He is coming back. There's a second Advent in which the trumpet will sound. And we will meet him. But if you've not embraced the first advent, his birth, it's going to be dreadful. It really is. Because you're out of touch with really understanding even what this second advent is all about. It begins with the first advent, first things first. And I'm afraid for you if you don't know him, this birth, this beautiful one who came. This first advent is where it starts to be able to take us to the second And lastly, to, to believers, to us here at Bridge, I just want to encourage you, remain dil diligent and pursue him with an urgency. Allow for your love for him to continue to grow deeper day to day. Allow for it. Allow for it. Because as it does, then you're a real reflector. You're a reflector like he wants you to be. There's the transformation that's incur occurring in your life. And you're reflecting what it actually looks like to be like Jesus. Uh, Kim was gracious and the worship team was gracious enough to let me close the service. I'm not going to sing a song, but I'm going to let you guys sing. There's a song that we have. There's a video. When you flip over your outline, you'll see there's the words on there. And it's actually not a Christmas song, but it is a challenge to us all to us to consider how it is, Lord, that we can just get a, a greater sense of Jesus in this season. Because we love you, Lord, but we want to love you even more. All right? So, thank you, Sid. Bless you, Bridge.